0: You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Thursday episode, my co-host Nick Lee. Glad to have you tuning in, whether this is your first time listening to Locked On Seahawks or you're a regular listener. Jam-packed episode coming your way. We're going to break down the latest that we know about Shane Waldron's offense. going to be revisiting some observations from the last two days of Seattle's mandatory minicamp heading into a six-week hiatus before training camp. And, of course, we're going to continue our 90-player countdown with numbers 35 through 31. Make sure to check out Locked On's Peacock and Williamson every Monday through Friday. NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the national perspective on all the NFL, covering all the latest news and insight in every game, team, and move around the league. Get your picks, previews, and more every weekday with the Peacock and Williamson podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. It's only mid-June. The Seahawks have a new offensive coordinator in place in Shane Waldron. And quite frankly, until actual games arrive in a couple of months, we're really not going to know what this offense is going to look like. But players and coaches have left a bit of a trail of breadcrumbs, hinting at what to expect in 2021, Nick. A couple players recently talked to the media. Russell Wilson, he emphasized the pre-snap motion. Obviously, he's excited about that. He's talked tempo, lots of different personnel groupings. DK Metcalf called the offense intricate, mentioned that Waldron's going to be giving them a lot more route combinations that they haven't used before. Will Disley Disley emphasize the tempo, getting tight ends involved in the passing game. And then Tyler Lockett yesterday speaking with the media had a lot to say. Before we delve into this, let's check out what he had to say about the freedom that Shane Waldron's offense gives the skilled players for the Seahawks.
1: I mean, when I think of his offense, I think we have more freedom to do a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, it's very different than the six years that I've been here. But the biggest thing that I've learned since being here in the league is it doesn't matter what team you go to, doesn't matter who your offensive coordinator is. The biggest thing that you need as a player that I've learned is you have to be able to adapt. And that's one of the biggest things that I've learned is some receiver coaches didn't like how I ran routes. Other coaches did like how I ran routes. But when I had to go with people who may have trained me when I was getting ready to come to the league, If they didn't like my routes, I had to run how they wanted me to be able to run. And even though it was uncomfortable, I had to be able to do what needed to be done if I was going to be on that team. And so when you're talking about Whatever team you go to, everybody has certain ways they want you to run routes. You have spread offenses. You have West Coast offenses. You have running gun. You have so many different types of offenses that require you as a receiver to be different, to think different, to play different, different releases, different techniques, all that different type of stuff. And so with the offense that Shane brings in, I think it brings us more freedom more freedom to kind of be able to be the receivers that we can be. We got um, free range to do a lot of stuff, not saying that we could just go out there and do whatever we want, but the more and more sophisticated that you become in this offense, the more you're able to understand how you can switch your feet, how not to switch your feet, how to add an extra step, how not to add an extra step rather than always just having to get to a certain point at this certain amount of time. You kind of have free range to play with it a little bit. As
0: you would expect, Nick, all the players and coaches to an extent have been guarded when talking about this offense. They're not going to spill all the beans. There's gamesmanship that goes in play here. You don't want your opponents finding out what your game plan is offensively going into the upcoming season with a new coordinator. But I thought that Lockett's commentary was the most enlightening that we have heard from any of the players or coaches to this point, including just talking about the fact that receivers are going to be allowed to be themselves and... He's going to maximize
2: their strengths within the confines of his scheme. Yeah, and I, you, you hear the F word being thrown around in this offense, which the F word being freedom is a, a word you didn't, I didn't hear much under Brian Schottenheimer. And yes, some things certainly worked, and, and and for a time that was a great offense. But that's not usually a word I heard being thrown around by players uh, or other coaches about the offense that Schottenheimer ran. And freedom is something I think that also Russell Wilson was pursuing, as uh, in, in in some of the off the field, whether it be media overblown or not. Some of that, some of the tension might have been from a lack of freedom, and I think that that's that that hopefully will dissolve with this new offense. And some of the you know some of the words also are brilliant, intricate. I, I really like. And then and then you mentioned tempo. My gosh. The, the pace that the, the, they're going to break the huddle quickly, and they're going to be still calling plays as they break the huddle. Raise your hand if you found yourself screaming at the TV last season for the Seahawks to line up and snap the dang ball before the they get knocked with a delay of game penalty, and sometimes they did, and it was just maddening. Just, oh, just made me furious. And I expect with this new offense, especially with how much they've been hitting home on the tempo part, I expect those delay of game penalties to be cut in half, maybe better. That's something I'm really excited about because some of the times you you just can't shoot yourself in the foot on the third and ones, the second and fours. You just, you can't afford these stupid inexcusable penalties like that. So if, if the natural consequence of this offense is little to no delay of game, stupid, you know, taking too long to break the huddle and, and these 25 second long, Worded plays, I am all for it just for that. <laughs> and um, on top of some freedom as well from, from the quarterback and the receivers, that this this could be a home run, yeah.
0: And I think the other thing you mentioned that breaking the huddle quickly. I think the other thing that got me really excited yesterday, listening to Tyler Lockett, and and this stemmed from a question about what Dwayne Eskridge brings to the offense, but he said there's really been an emphasis from Waldron on creating after the catch. And that is an area that this team has been among the worst in the NFL for the last several seasons. This was predating Brian Schottenheimer near the end of the Daryl Bevel era. They've always been so good at the explosive plays, but when it comes to creating yardage after the catch in the short to intermediate passing game, that has not been a strength for this passing game. And, I think that Shane Waldron, you look at the way the Rams offense is constructed, that's one of the things that has made Sean McVay's offense so difficult to stop during his time there, is that they find ways to manufacture yardage, their receivers and their tight ends. Gerald Everett now being in Seattle, maybe he can do that, but their skill players get the ball in their hands, they make guys miss, they break tackles, and those type of plays are really a hindrance to the defense. They, they're annoying at first, then eventually they get under your skin because you're just thinking, I had that guy for a five yard stop and now he's got 12 yards instead. And the Seahawks have not been able to consistently do that. And so I think the emphasis on that and getting the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands quicker is going to allow for that to happen too. Get the ball into your playmaker's hands and let them go to work. And so I thought that that was another thing that was said by Lockett yesterday that was really revealing. And I think when you look at the pieces they have, and I'll talk about this a bit more in the next segment when we're discussing mini camp observations, but when you just look at all the weapons at Russell Wilson's disposal, everything the Seahawks have put around him at the skill positions, this offense, if they're able to maintain tempo, they're able to create after the catch, we know they can win with explosives. That's not going away if they're able to do all of those things and they're able to keep the vast majority of their skill guys healthy, this should be easily a top five offense. If not the best offense in the NFL, if they're not able to do that, there's really no excuse. It's a failure in my book at least.
2: Yeah. They, they rank top three in talent, I think in offense for sure. And that that's a dangerous word to throw around just like upside or potential. That's kind of dangerously close to that. But uh for, for something that jumped out to me, the Seahawks have not had three players with at least 600 receiving yards since 2015. That's a long time. Now, that, that, that's a, a top-heavy offense. And, of course, with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, it's pretty darn top-heavy. That's about as top-heavy as it gets because they are two of the best receivers in the NFL. I'm expecting with this new offense and, and you mentioned the yards after the catch some strategic getting the ball in space not just those two but just going down the depth chart I'm expecting that to change this year. I think that this year there is going there I think over the last few years with Schottenheimer the receivers left a lot of yards on the field. And that's kind of a scary thought with how much how much productive how productive Lockett and Metcalf were. But when you think about the guys under them I think they le- they left a ton of yards on the field. Whether it's you know they didn't break a tackle or just a second too long in in one space or the route was just a hair off a a degree or two or whatever it is, and they didn't get the space they needed to make make a break for it, I'm expecting this year to be the first year they have three receiver or receiver tight end combinations, three pass catchers with at least 600 receiving yards. I'm expect this to be the first year they have that in six years
0: the pieces that they have in place. And you and I know this, this is not an offense. They were leading the NFL in scoring the first eight weeks and they still set a franchise record for points last year. It's not like this is an offense where the coordinator needs to come in and completely re- reinvent the wheel, <laughs> you know, it's just clean up a few things, be more balanced in the passing game. If a team's taking away your deep ball, as Tyler Lockett said yesterday, hit them with the short stuff. If they start coming up and trying to take that away, then you can burn them down field and if they're able to just clean up some of those little things and they're mixing in more of the quick strike passing game to protect their quarterback, letting their playmakers get to work, then there's no reason that this offense should not be a top three unit, arguably the best unit in football. It's got this group has got that kind of potential. It's gonna be a lot of fun to see how this plays out once we really have an idea what this offense is gonna look like. But right now, the early reviews. Should have Seahawks fans really excited as we head towards training camp. When we return to the second quarter, the Seahawks are getting ready to go on a six-week break, wrapped up their three-day mini-camp today. Nick and I are going to be breaking down observations from the last two practice sessions at the VMAC. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Who doesn't want instant gratification? If you're looking for satisfaction, there's no need to wait. With Credit Karma Money, you could win cash reimbursements for debit purchases. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals for a network of over 50,000 ATMs. Credit Karma money. Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com winmoney to open your free account and start winning Instant Karma. Go to creditkarma.com slash winmoney to sign up for free and start winning Instant Karma. That's creditkarma.com slash winmoney. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Nick Lee. The Seahawks put a bow on their off-season program today with their third and final mandatory minicamp practice all but three players in attendance. They did have a couple more guys that were sidelined today. John Ursua being one of them dealing with a very minor knee issue. They just decided to hold him out. But for the most part, most of their players were participating in all three days of camp. And overall, Pete Carroll was very excited about the way that they handled these three days. He felt they got more done than they thought they were going to. And that's what happens when you're able to get that high of a participation rate and, and, Guys were buying into Shane Waldron's offense. Overall, a really good three days. Let's talk observations here. I'm going to throw this name out there again. And I think our listeners are probably, some of them probably like, again, we're talking about this guy again. And some of them might be like, this guy's a bottom of the depth chart receiver. Why are we talking about him again? But I think we have to mention Penny Hart again because to me, Penny Hart made the play of the offseason program, the play of minicamp today. During their seven on seven session, he was running a skinny post route and he blew past two defenders in the secondary, reaches up over the shoulder and plucks Russell Wilson's pass in the end zone with one hand and brings it down. It was one of the best catches that I've ever seen on a practice field at the Seahawks practices. It was an incredible catch. And then he scored another touchdown a few minutes later on a shallow crosser. And it just seems like dating back to last year's training camp. This is an ascending player that just keeps getting better. And most importantly, number three seems to have the utmost trust in him. They have great chemistry, and it's just continuing to grow and grow. And so to me, maybe Penny Hart is that guy that we have continued to overlook that we shouldn't be looking at that receiver depth chart.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the writing's on the wall. Pete Carroll clearly thinks very highly of Penny Hart. Obviously, he leads the league in optimism. Pete Carroll, he he's number one in that ranking. Um, but I, I think it's a bit I'm not excessive's not the right word, but it's been more so in Penny Hart's corner than other players. He's using words like he's clearly in it. We can trust him, we can count on him. He's had a spectacular few weeks, things like that. That 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 brings your that that caused me to pay attention. And he's certainly a guy, if especially if, if Russell Wilson has rapport with him. And that can cover, and he does clearly in in camp, and he's making plays. Some of those guys can just have that it factor, like Doug Baldwin. Doug Baldwin, by no stretch of the imagination, was the most talented, physically gifted receiver in the NFL history, not even close. But they just, he just had that it factor and that that connection. And I think Penny Hart has a bit of that, and if and, and a connection with the with Russell Wilson and that trust, that can cover up a lot of deficiencies that Penny Hart might have. Um. Obviously, he's he's on the bottom of the depth chart or towards that are fighting for a, a job for a reason. But if he can earn a spot and and grow and blossom in that trust, holy cow! What a what a third fourth weapon they have there. Five nine, speedy guy that can that can you know catch it like he's got spider tack on his on his uh, on his gloves. Uh, baseball reference there. Um, but he, I, if it's invaluable to have a third fourth receiver with that has built that much trust in your quarterback.
0: The general consensus has been that the third or fourth receiver job was already in the bag, that it was going to be Dwayne Eskridge and Freddie Swain competing for those two positions. And one of them is going to be number three and one's going to be number four. But I've got to wonder if maybe it's a little premature to be saying things like that. Because Penny Hart, you look back at his productivity, the college level. Yeah, Freddie Swain played at Florida. He played in the SEC and Penny Hart played at Georgia State. He was not playing the same level of competition, but we're talking about a player at Georgia State that didn't have a lot of talent around him, but he shattered school records, and this is a guy that can do damage as a runner, so you can use him on those jet sweeps. He can play in the outside. He can play in the slot. He's much more athletic than his testing numbers showcase. He's a really savvy route runner, and I love that you mentioned the fact that Pete Carroll said you can count on this kid because that seemed to be the number one thing that he was hammering home. He made the team last year. He beat out somebody like John Ursua because this is a player that I can trust. He's going to be able to do whatever we need him to do. And that includes special teams. He had four tackles on special teams last year, Nick. So it's not like this guy. Yeah. He only gave you one catch as a receiver. He only played 18 snaps on offense. They didn't need him in that capacity last year, but he ended up fulfilling his role because he gave them good reps on special teams and he could return kicks or punts in a pinch if they needed him to as well. So he is one of those guys that can do a number of different things. He's tough as nails. He's got good football IQ. And so I'm not going to sit here and say that he's guaranteed to make the team because they've got a number of other intriguing players at this position group, but there's no reason why he can't maintain that spot. And if he keeps playing like he did the last three days, then if you're Dwayne Eskridge and Freddie Swain, you better bring your A game because this kid is coming for your reps. That's the way that he has played the last couple of days. And Kay Johnson is coming. He looked much better the last couple of days. Tomorrow and Terry, the undrafted rookie out of Florida state, had a touchdown today in seven on seven. And I know that it's just mini camp and all the restrictions and stuff. You got to take everything with a grain of salt, but, they have some very intriguing undrafted players. So I think if you are a player returning from last year's squad, again, you better bring it because there are some really hungry young players that are doing a lot of really great things on the practice field. And if they keep doing that in training camp, I kind of envy Pete Carroll and the staff trying to figure out what they're going to do with that depth chart. I I really do.
2: Yeah, and that brings us to the next point of, of just the young players in general, the undrafted guys coming out of camp. Um, I think we can all agree, and you, you mentioned the guys returning from last year, the younger guys, that the class of last year, the rookies, got screwed. I mean, they really did with the COVID pandemic and and no no off season really, no, no programs, no anything. That there's a lot of unknowns still. And then this year's crop of of undrafted free agents and, and just rookies in general, um, they they are they are finally kind of having I quote normal off season. And you're seeing just the difference that can make. They're clearly making an impact right away that it's hard to see on paper, on on your on the college tape, on you know, Zoom that they had to do last year. I mean, it's so hard to make those distinctions that in, until you get on the field and and the bullets start flying a little bit in, in, in those mini camp practices, and it's just a distinct advantage because they're being compared perhaps to last year's fair or unfair, they they look to be ahead of the curve perhaps Pete Carroll said
0: this is the most prepared rookie class he's ever had and you think about it that's the one plus of having your veterans staying away till the last week of OTAs basically you had an extension of your rookie mini camp for two and a half weeks and so all those reps went to these young players to these undrafted rookies and some of the undrafted rookies from last year were eligible to participate like Cedric Lattimore he was able to participate in rookie minicamp and all those early OTAs. And so that is going to benefit all those players when they get to training camp. I am really fascinated. That's one of my big takeaways here. It has nothing to do with something I've observed in the field, but just those guys getting all of those critical reps on the field, those are the players that these days really matter for. And I think that you're going to see that being a big difference maker for not just this year's class, but those undrafted players from a year ago that are still on the roster, players like Tyler Mabry and Lattimore and company, they're going to have a chance in the preseason to prove themselves. And really this is going to be like being an undrafted rookie again for them because they're actually getting a legitimate opportunity where they had an offseason. They could get some reps in front of coaches. So I'm fascinated to see what this crop of rookies looks like. They've got some really good undrafted players that are going to push. They're going to make some pressure on some of those veterans that might have been on the team last year. And that's what Pete Carroll wants, always compete. And he's going to be pushing to get that philosophy back in full gear this year after last year's training camp just made it really difficult for them to do that because of all the COVID protocols and stuff. More normalcy means they're going to be able to get back to doing things the way they always do where everybody's got a fighting chance to get in the field and earn snaps. And I think that's going to make it a lot of fun. One last thing I want to talk about real quick before we advance to the third quarter. Again, in an OTA or a mini camp you're not going to see defensive linemen going against offensive linemen. It just doesn't happen. There's strict no-contact rules. So you can't really evaluate guys. But I'm just saying this as an observer, watching the defensive line group doing drill work and hitting sleds. This is a group that's got some dudes. I know Jaron Reed's gone, but Robert Candice has looked really good so far. Cedric Lattimore looks excellent going into his second season. Al Woods has looked fantastic. You were talking about a big dude. That is a big, big man. And then Brian Monet, they need to get him a New Jersey because it's a little too small. And he's another dude that's massive. He was doing the Brandon Meebane belly roll this week, man, and... I just look at the players that they've got at defensive end. If Alton Smith is able to play for this team as well, they, they were trying to fill out their third stringers, so to speak, at the end of practice today. And they had Rasheem Green and Alton Robinson as their defensive ends because those are the guys that are lowest on the pecking order. I mean, that's the type of depth we're talking about. Those are two pretty solid young players. And so I think there's a lot to be excited about with this defensive line. We got to see what they look like in camp, but – Really good depth, and they got some dudes. They get some big
2: boys in the middle. Gosh, I, I know I, you've you've really done a, a terrible job at lowering my expectations with Robert. <laughs> <Lichet>. <laughs> um, and and everyone in the Seahawks media has. I, I'm a little worried about being his third or fourth girlfriend. You know, you, you start wondering, okay, you know, how many, you know, when is it a him problem instead of the team problem? Whatever, but uh, it, maybe it will stick. Maybe it's another you know change of scenery thing. Or this has just been something that he's done everywhere else, and it, it'll just burn us again. I don't know, and I don't think anyone knows. If you're talking but, Kim Diche, everybody I've talked to said I don't know which guy you're watching, but he never looked
0: like that in Arizona or Miami. <laughs> so take that for what it's worth. Again, these are OTAs and minicamp, but I was encouraged by that.
2: But let, let's let's go down that road for a second and say he is that first round talent, and and will play like it in 2021. Holy Toledo! That group of defensive linemen with a a true first round t- talent performing like it in Cambeche, and he's going to be one rotating of the in
0: with Puna oh. Ford.
2: I mean, yeah, and especially if you throw an Alden Smith who, if he can, if he can get on the field, this all of a sudden is a very dangerous unit, and a lot of your defense, the pace. The the tone that you set on defense starts with your defensive line. And if you have an embarrassment of riches at at your at depth at your disposal, boy, you can that opens up a whole world of possibilities, all in a good way.
0: That defensive line is a chance to be a top five. I'm not kidding. That group has a has a potential with the depth they've got, the mix of experience and youth to be a top five defensive line. But I'm going to get off my high horse now, and uh, we're going to move on to the third quarter and go back to what is reality for right now. We're going to be talking our 90-player countdown, continuing with numbers 35 through 31, a lot of special teams flavor in this grouping. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Are you looking for a way to boost your workout game? Are you seeking a delicious protein bar without the sugar and carbs? Enter in the Built Bar. 18 amazing flavors, including nut and non-nut flavors. Some of the best ones, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, apple almond crisp, peanut butter, double chocolate. You're going to have a tough time eating just one. These bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft, easy to chew. It's great for the health-conscious guy. Lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, and they're great for a keto diet. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing the only brand his warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com and in your pocket. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car and truck. Right, locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection. Amazing selection. Reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Thursday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Nick Lee. Time to continue our 90-player countdown We are down all the way to numbers 35 through 31. We're going to start breaking these up next week into smaller clusters as we get into some of the star players and potential starters for the Seahawks. But this will be our last grouping with five players, and there's a lot of special teams flavor on today's episode, starting with number 35, Michael Dixon, who recently got a four-year extension, a well-deserved extension at that, that made him the second-highest-paid punter in the NFL and, Nick, you know, the 2018 draft class, there's been a lot of disappointing picks so far. We know Rashad Penny's injury issues, the inability to provide that complimentary back to Chris Carson at minimum, or become a starter caliber player as a first round pick. Rasheem Green's had injuries, hasn't necessarily jumped out the way that we thought he would. Jabarco Jones has battled some injuries. Shaquem Griffin is out of Seattle after three years. Trey Flowers has been inconsistent despite all the starts he's had. But, The one guy that's been the rock in this draft class, it's ironic that he's the one the Broncos apparently were laughing about, the Seahawks trading up to get him in drafting a punter. But Michael Dixon has truly been one of the top three punters in the league for all three seasons he's been in the NFL.
2: Yeah, I think it's no longer too early in his career. He is a top three punter in this league. And now he's being paid like it, which is awesome. I think he was a Pro Bowl snub last year. I think both. Get, we'll get into it with, with Jason Myers. I think that both the kicker and puncher for the Seahawks are Pro Bowl snubs. He led the NFL in punts inside the 20-yard line last year. And I know part of that is that the Seahawks kind of lost their luster a bit in, in the second half and were punting a lot, but that speaks for itself. I think it was 32 punts inside the 20-yard line, two per game. And that that, that is – if your punter can be a weapon – that is a it's a it's a dynamic of your offense really, and he is a weapon. He's a magician with the football. And you know, normally when when the Seahawks go three and out or, or go fourth down, I, I don't know, I'll go grab a drink from the fridge or go go heat up the nachos or something. But I'm like, no, I want to see what what Michael Dixon can do. I want to see if he can stick that you know fifty eight degree wedge into the in just three yards short of the end zone or whatever it is. I mean, he is a master with his foot. He is like one of those elite golfers with the wedge, like Phil Mickelson with his foot. It's pretty cool to watch.
0: Yeah. Dixon was one of the best punters in football last year, but we'll go right to 34 here with Jason Myers, who in my opinion was the best kicker in the NFL last year. He didn't miss a single field goal. He's still currently on a franchise record streak for the most field goals ever made. He broke Alindo Mari's record last year and I think what was most exciting about this, we know that he had his struggles his first year in Seattle in 2019. There were people in the middle of the season like, can we go get Sebastian Janikowski back? Like, what's going on here? And then the second half, he turned things around, and he used that momentum to really build off of it in 2020. And not only was he making all of his field goals, he was also kicking a lot of long field goals. He made a 61-yarder, a new team record, against the Rams in week 10 so he was not only accurate but he also showed a much stronger leg than what we've seen in the past he he was the best kicker all around and I think Dixon probably got a snub too because Seattle special teams are fantastic last year but if I had to pick between the two Jason Myers is the one that not only do I think he was snubbed from the Pro Bowl I think he was snubbed as an all pro I thought he was a first team caliber all pro kicker last year that's how good that he was the only thing that i can nitpick on is stop missing the extra points he's missed more extra points than any kicker in nfl history since they've been tracking that stuff so
2: that's my one thing that i will say but otherwise he was brilliant last year yeah when it's nice to have it at least when you're attempting field goals have that confidence where in the you know the 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 Blair days, the Janikowski days, you're like, okay, is this, is this going to happen? Or are we going to come up with zero here after a nice drive? And with Myers, you didn't really worry about that. You worried me maybe about step six, um, but I, I'll take that with the bad. I'll, I'll take the good with the bad. I'll take the record streak. I'll take the longest field goal in franchise history for a missed extra point here and there. I think that kind of adds up to a net positive. I, I think I a hundred percent agree with him setting multiple franchise records, absolutely a Pro Bowl snub. And I, I I, didn't really think about it until now. Yeah, an All-Pro snub. And I expect that same Jason Myers to show up this year, and I'm excited to not worry about the kicking game again. Now going to another 2018 draft pick. I actually mentioned him a few moments ago Trey Flowers
0: entering the final year of his rookie contract, and the Seahawks have brought in a lot of competition for him. Pierre Desir was brought back. Akella Witherspoon was signed. They drafted Trey Brown. They've still got D.J. Reed, and so I don't. I guess maybe I'm off kilter a little bit saying this, but I believe that Trey Flowers is playing for one of the last roster spots. Maybe he ends up coming in and having a fantastic training camp and really turns the corner. And I'm not going to rule out that possibility because this is a guy, again, he was a safety when he came to the NFL. So he had a very large learning curve. So maybe it just clicks for him. But unless that happens and you've got other players like Akella Witherspoon that don't necessarily play up to their potential, I mean, it's going to take a lot for him to be in the top three top four corners out of this group, at least in my opinion. And so I think he is potentially not only playing for his future beyond this year, but I think he's playing for this season, just being on the roster. There's a lot on the line for him with all the players the Seahawks have brought into that cornerback spot. And we know that when he's been good, he's looked like he could be a long-term starter. We just have not seen the consistency. And he's had a few minor injuries sprinkled in to go with that. And the the pass interference penalties, some of the lack of discipline we've seen at times, those things start to add up. If you could see the middle of 2019 version of Trey Flowers for an entire season, you've got a quality starter. Uh, But I just think there's a lot on the line for him with the players they brought in. Maybe it does bring out the best in him and he becomes a starter again. But right now, I don't know that I'm necessarily optimistic that that's what's going to happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, 42 games played, 37 starts in three years and in two of the three years he's allowed more, uh, high, at least 105.7 passer rating that's a, that's a pretty bad number and i think last year the the percentage was yeah 77.5% allowed that's rough and you know when you when you look at that kind of sample size and you see those numbers where his average passer rating allowed is approaching the hundreds you wonder if that's the real Trey Flowers the, the, the Trey Flowers of the middle of 2019, like you said, in, in some of the games, he was allowing 60, 70 passer rating. He was lights out for part of 2019. And I, I don't know if that was just him, you know, really reading a quarterback well, or he just knew that what to expect. You had a couple of great weeks of practice or what have you. But unfortunately, I think that the, the, the proof is in the pudding that he's a very, and if you're going to keep him on the roster, you're going to be taking the good with the bad and the inconsistencies. And if Trey Brown and Akila Witherspoon can come in here and at least show that they can be consistent, maybe not the a corner, but at least consistent and give the coaches what, you know, what they expect and allow them to to build a game plan about around their talents and and not totally let the bottom fall out like Trey Flowers has. I think he's in real trouble of not making this roster. Yeah, I think the special
0: teams aspect is the thing we can't overlook here either. He's got to be able to contribute in that capacity more than what he has in the past if he's not going to be one of your two starters on the outside because he's not going to be playing safety with the depth that the Seahawks have at that position either. And so, again, I'm hoping that Trey Flowers plays like he did in 2019. And there were a few games last year that he kind of played at that level after he returned to the lineup for Quentin Dunbar. He had a few games that he played well, but you just haven't seen enough consistency He's kind of been like David Moore was at the receiver position. You'd have a few good gains, and then there'd be a few, ooh, this guy is not a starter caliber player. And so you're entering year four now. The time to be patient with that has passed. He's got to take that next step forward, or the team may just decide, we got other players here. It's time for us to move on. He's only got one year left in his contract anyway. Let's roll with some of the other players. So a big training camp coming up for him. Next up, number 32, at the safety position, he's now wearing Shaquille Griffin's former number, number 26. Ryan Neal last year was one of the most pleasant surprises for the Seahawks. Jamal Adams gets hurt against the Cowboys in week three. Neal finishes off the win with an interception of Dak Prescott in the end zone. The next week he gets another interception against Ryan Fitzpatrick, and he played really well in four starts. And they continue to find ways to use him. Even after Jamal Adams came back, he was playing in dime packages when they played the Giants in week 13. He made a really nice hit on Evan Ingram, and the ball popped up in the air, and Quandre Diggs picked it off. So you saw him making contributions still on defense, and he was a key special teams guy. He's going to be your main backup to Jamal Adams on this team. I'm feeling pretty confident about Ryan Neal because of how well he played on special teams, the fact that he's played some corner as well. He's got some versatility. I'm feeling pretty bullish on him being almost a lock to make this 53-man
2: roster. Yeah, I mean, he, in, he had 30 targets, I believe, last year, um, played in 13 games, almost 400 snaps, uh, on defense last year, and in uh, those 30 targets, he allowed a 72.1 passer rating. Very, very respectable. Great tackler. The only caveat I would say, Corbin, to that, the the only but, is Ashari Crosswell. If if he shows up, and and if he if he can if he can stay healthy and and show up like we we discussed, we hyped him up a week or yep. two ago about just how sure of a tackler is one of the better tackling safeties in college football in 2019. If that guy can show up. That might make Ryan Neal sweat a little bit, so I'm not sure. I'm not going to go as far as say a lock, but it's it's pretty. You know, the the key is turning, but it hasn't quite clicked in the lock yet. But Ashari uh, Crosswell is certainly one to look for, maybe in the rearview mirror. But Ryan Neal certainly showed last year that he can be thrown into the fire and and swim and, and and do just fine and not be a liability, which is really all you ask for from your backups. And was a solid special teamer as well. And finishing up this
0: group of players, number 31, somebody that Pete Carroll actually talked about a little bit today, Cody Barton entering his third season. I thought with K.J. Wright not being signed, and this is before we knew what Daryl Taylor's status was, and obviously now he looks like he's going to be the guy that's strong side linebacker. He's going to be playing that hybrid Bruce Irvin type role. But I thought before that revelation, before we saw Daryl Taylor at rookie minicamp and all the OTAs and stuff, I thought Cody Barton might be back in the mix to potentially replace KJ Wright because he played four games starter in place of Michael Kendricks at that spot as a rookie two years ago. Now, did he have some issues? Absolutely. Especially defending the run. He didn't set contain. So that was something that I thought he needs to get stronger. He needs a little bit more time in the film room playing this position, just more experience. I thought maybe going into year three, maybe that was going to be a good spot for him. But Now I'm just finding it really difficult to see any role for him on defense unless there's an injury in front of him, because he's not beating out Jordan Brooks, he's not beating out Bobby Wagner, and if Daryl Taylor's the guy at strong side linebacker, I again don't see anything for Cody Barton except being that next in line on the depth chart reserve and a key special teams player, which as a third round pick, that's okay. If he's a really good special teams guy like he was last year, 17 special teams tackles is insane, and he was fantastic. But you were hoping you could maybe get a little bit more out of him as defender. And the fact that they turn around and drafted Jordan Brooks the next year, Pete Carroll can say whatever he wants, but there had to be something in the back of his mind saying, I don't know if this kid can be an every down starter. I think there is still, even though he's not going to say it publicly, I think there is a little bit of skepticism. He's going to be on this roster because he's a fantastic special teams player. I just don't know that he has a much higher ceiling than that.
2: No, I don't think he does. Um, you know, he played, he started at 68%, he played in 68% of the special team snaps in 2019, went up to 71% in 2020. So clearly valued as a special teams guy. And, um, I, something that I thought was interesting is in about the same amount of snaps or so, um, his missed tackle percentage went down from 8% to 2.8%. Um, last year, I think he is a when he he not the most athletically gifted guy, maybe not the most technically sound guy, but a guy in special teams that knows how to make tackles and doesn't let the guy get away when he has an angle. That can be valuable. That can be the difference between a guy returning the kick to the 26-yard line or taking it to the house, and that that's that's worth six points. So if you have a guy like that on defense or excuse me on special teams, that that's that's worthy of a roster spot in of itself. Yes, as a third-round pick. There's lots of third round picks that have become very, very, very good starting defensive players and doesn't look like Cody Barton's one of them. But again, like you said, that's okay because the Seahawks have the talent around him to not necessarily need Cody Barton to be a starting linebacker. If he can just find that niche and be a reliable, solid special teamer, there's value in that for sure.
0: Make sure to check out the Locked On Today podcast hosted by Peter Bukowski as he updates you Everything you need to know in the world of sports in under 20 minutes. Make sure to follow Locked On Today's podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51. Check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the all new Odyssey app. That's A U D A C Y. Coming up on Friday's show, I'll be tackling your questions in our weekly mailbag segment and. I'll be continuing our 90-player countdown. We'll be moving into the 20s. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. Go Hawks.